Welcome to the Presence Podcast from Hope Community Church, Wyndham. You can find more resources and connect with us through our website at hopecommunitychurch.co.uk. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired as you listen. Good morning, everybody at home. Good morning, everybody here this morning in the building. We are continuing our Bible teaching series in Elijah and Elisha, the life of. And our passage this morning is chapter 18 of 1 Kings, and it's verses 41 to 46, which we shall read in due course. So, so far in this series, where have we got up to? Well, we've seen how God has brought drought on the land of Israel through the action of the prophet Elijah. And I guess the parched land echoes the spiritual state of the people. They're dry, spiritually dry. And after three, three and a half long years, the prophet calls the king, Ahab, his false prophets, and the people to Mount Carmel. And last week, we saw how God demonstrated his power as fire fell on the sacrifice that Elijah had set up. Now, reminiscence here, half a lifetime ago, before a two-month sabbatical, I spent a fascinating day with uh, Bible teacher David Pawson. I was about to uh, launch off to Israel for those months, and so I thought I'll just chat to him uh, about the kind of places that I could go to when I I had my my visit over there. And among the uh, places he recommended was this site on Mount Carmel, and he suggested that I get a bus uh, from Haifa to the Druze village of of Daliat, and then walk a mile along to the Elijah Monastery, and there, there's a precipitous path going down behind the Elijah Monastery to a large open area, probably the only possible site for hundreds, thousands to gather for this particular event in 1 Kings chapter 18. And so he said, you'll you'll know it as soon as you see it. And he said, look out for the well. Because he said, there's a well there that never runs dry, even in times of drought. And that's how Elijah was able to soak the sacrifice in a time of, of tremendous drought. And that that solved a problem for me. I'd always wondered about that. How can you drench a sacrifice in the time of drought? And so um, I visited there. I went on my sabbatical with a a colleague. And uh, we visited this particular site. And it was exactly as uh, David had described. We found, found the well. He'd also mentioned that a Christian author by the name of Leonard T. Pearson, who often wrote travel books, um, had, had visited Carmel a few years earlier, and as he'd looked around the site, he'd f- picked up a very interesting piece of, of glass or stone. He wasn't quite sure what it was, to be honest, and he was so fascinated by this, this uh, piece of, of stone that he, that he picked up that he actually took it to the uh, Hebrew University in Jerusalem to uh, be examined. And after a day or two, uh, he was called back, and the, the scientist there said, where on earth did you find this? And he explained where he'd found it, 
And he said, well, you have brought to me a piece of 9th century BC pottery fused with limestone by indescribable heat. Something akin to nuclear fusion. Now, that's the kind of story David Pawson loved. And uh, I, I went along to that site, and uh, boy, did I look around in the stones. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I didn't find anything quite so exciting as uh, Leonard Pearson's uh, piece of 9th century BC pottery. But I did go around the site, and I, I kept clicking uh, with my camera. In those days, nothing digital, I'm afraid. You had to wait many a week before the, <laughs> before the negatives were... Were, um, were, were produced. But then when the film was developed, I, at first I was quite disappointed because I found that light had crept into one of the negatives. But my disappointment gave way to actual joy because I realized that God had given me a lovely visual aid for fire falling from heaven. Because there the light was just beaming right down into the very rocks where Elijah might well have stood on that famous occasion when God sent fire, fire from heaven. And fire, of course, is a frequent metaphor for the power of God, often in revival. And that's why I used that recently for that series of short videos on historic revivals and how prayer is a, a common feature in all of them. Fire from heaven. But you know, Rain is also a metaphor for God's abundant blessing being poured out. And here we have it this morning in our passage of Scripture. After the fire, it was time for the rain. Uh, now that the people had returned to God, the question is, would there, be, would there be rain? Because I guess rain at this precise moment would be as miraculous as fire falling from heaven. After three and a half years of drought, rain at this precise moment. And so this is still life on the edge for the prophet Elijah. His job is only half finished. And so we have this vivid glimpse of Elijah seeking God for rain. So let's turn to the passage of Scripture. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. Seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, <coughs> Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And of course, in the New Testament, the Apostle James refers to this, and so here we just supplement our passage with this verse or two. 
from James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. But you know, Elijah wanted more than the end of drought, didn't he? His prophetic passion was for a revival of spiritual life, a revival of spiritual life. And in the Bible, rain, of course, is a blessing uh, physically for the land, but is also a blessing spiritually. It's a spiritual blessing. Rain brings growth, it brings refreshment, and it brings fruitfulness. And there are so many verses of, uh, of, about this in the scriptures. Here's just three for you now. Psalm 76, 72, verse 6, He shall come down like rain upon the grass, before mowing like showers that water the earth. Who will come down? He will come down. Isaiah 44, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And Hosea 6.3 let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. So rain speaks of an open heaven, doesn't it? It speaks of God pouring out his Holy Spirit, but it also underlines God's sovereignty. In other words, we are utterly dependent on God Sending the rain. We can't do a rain dance to bring it on. God has to send the rain. It's a sovereign act of God. And uh, this is what we need. We need God to come and drench us, to drench this land. I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I've, I've experienced, I've witnessed times of refreshing. But I've never witnessed an absolute deluge, an absolute spiritual awakening. Don't you long... For that, an absolute spiritual deluge of rain from heaven. And the interesting thing is that many Christians today are praying for that. Have you noticed that? All around the world, there are many, many Christians in the midst of pandemic praying for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit uh, on the land that they live in. Now, let's look at Elijah this morning because there's so much to learn from spiritual giants. And here we have a spiritual giant this morning. And first of all, in that text, I wonder if you notice how Elijah hears the rain before anyone else. Did you notice that? Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. The Good News Bible says, I hear the roar of rain approaching. And I don't think it was that uh, he'd heard the distant rumble of thunder. This was the hearing of faith. The hearing of faith. And knew, Elijah knew that God keeps his promises. God's covenant promise, you can read it in Deuteronomy 11, is that when God's people return to him, when God's people are with him, depending on him again, he will send the rain. The land needs rain, but the people need God. And so 
Elijah knew the promises of God. He said, God's faithful. I know that he'll send the rain now because he said that he would. It's his covenant promise. God always keeps his promises. The sky was cloudless. There wasn't a hint of rain. But this prophet sensed the presence of the future. I love the uh, little, uh, a little sentence from A.W. Pink, a Bible teacher of a previous generation, and he said, it's the nature of this God-given grace to bring distant things close to us. Bringing distant things close to us. Can you hear the sound of people coming to Jesus week by week amongst us? Can you hear the sound of people rejoicing over mighty miracles? Can you hear the sound of angels celebrating in heaven over one person this day who comes to faith in Jesus? Can you hear the sound of distant rain coming our way? This is the kind of distant things being brought into the present. What a, what a, a contrast Ahab is. Ahab, well, he heads for the buffet bar. You know, he goes to eat and to drink. What does Elijah do? He actually gets down uh, to, to pray. He goes up to a place of, of prayer. You know, we often wonder why some believers see the most amazing things happen. Well, perhaps it's because they're seeking God while many of us are binging on something else. Look, I know we can't all be like Elijah, you know, we, we haven't got Elijah's lifestyle, have we? You know, we've got families, we've got jobs, we've got all sorts of stuff in the 21st century that Elijah didn't have. Okay, God knows that, but God's looking at our hearts and he's saying, is your heart for my glory before anything else? Is that top priority in the midst of everything else? Or are you more like Ahab and you're binging on other things. Well, Elijah hears the rain before anybody else because, wow, he's got the glory of God at his, at his heart. The second thing is he bends before God. Did you notice that? Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. You might like to try that at home right now. It's a bit uncomfortable. It's usually when you feel dizzy, people tell you to do that. But he's locked in with God. That's what's happening here. His head's between his knees. That means he can't hear anything else. Everything else is shut out. He can't see anything but with the eyes of faith because he's locked in to God. This is a man at serious prayer. In 1904... 26-year-old Evan Roberts arrived at a gathering of leaders seeking God to pour out his Holy Spirit on the land of Wales. Many, many had been praying for, for such an outpouring. And early on the second day of this conference, one of the men there prayed, Bend us, Lord. And Roberts immediately, when he heard those words, sensed the Holy Spirit saying to him, That is what you need. And later that morning, as they 
Uh, everyone gathered again. Roberts became very agitated. He fell on his knees. He began to cry and he began to shout out, bend me, bend me, bend us. And it affected everybody who was present. And it was later that Evan Roberts explained what was happening um, by him shouting, bend me. He said, it was God commending his love which bent me. After I was bent, what a wave of peace flooded me. Then the fearful bending of the judgment day came to my mind, and I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment, and I wept. I felt ablaze with a desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. What an experience. Bent before God, just like Elijah. And in the days that followed uh, that conference, Evan Roberts, who was at college at the time, he was, he was uh, studying to, to be a preacher, a pastor. Uh, he just couldn't settle. He spent the night uh, times in prayer. Often his nights were interrupted by visions. One midnight, after walking uh, and praying in the garden, he came indoors and uh, his face was shining uh, to the point of glowing. And his closest friend, uh, Sidney Evans, was there. And... Uh, Evans was astonished, and he said, Evan, what's happened to you? Oh, Sid, he explained, I've got wonderful news for you. I had a vision of all whales being lifted up to heaven. We are going to see the mightiest revival that Wales has ever known. And the Holy Spirit is coming just now. We must get ready. And he said that God had promised 100,000 souls in Wales. Now, in weeks, Evan Roberts found himself spearheading what we now know as the Welsh Revival of 1904. And within six months, one revival historian has calculated 100,000 people were saved and added to the churches of Wales. You see, God brings distant things close to us. Just as he did for Elijah, he brought a distant thing close to this man who sought God with all his heart, and he was bent before God in serious prayer. You see, being bent before God, head between your knees so you can't see anything, gives you the eyes of an eagle soaring high. It was Elijah's experience, and it's Evan Roberts' experience here. Thirdly, also in our, our passage, Elijah expects rain at any moment. Did you notice that? Verse 43, he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. The rain didn't come immediately. You know, this mighty prophet, he was in, in earnest, in prayer, but he's had to keep on seeking. He had to keep on knocking. He had to keep on asking. And you know, that has been the experience of all who prayed for revival. Every historic revival that you can read about has had prayer at its heart, but it's always taken persistent prayer. Sometimes many months, but sometimes years. And I don't know of any exceptions. Now, on Thursday mornings, 
here uh, from 6.30 to 7 a.m. on Zoom. Mark Bullen is leading us in prayer for revival. It's only been going a couple of months uh, with about 30 people thus far, and uh, we are asking God <coughs> to send us revival rain. It may take months, may even take years. I hope it doesn't. But there's time for many more to join in and pray on those mornings. Again, we haven't got Elijah's lifestyle, but most of us can set the alarm for 6.20. Maybe not every time, but most times, and be there to pray and seek God for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But whoever and however many or few were going to persist. And the thing is that persistence in prayer does not need to be an endurance exercise. There is something thrilling about the fact that on any day, in any season, it could be God's time to open the windows of heaven and say, let it rain. Any day, any time. And you're there. You're like Elijah, sending his servant up. Can you see it? I'm expecting it at any time. I haven't seen a cloud yet. Well, go again. It might be today. He expected it. And then, again, fourthly, Elijah, he, he recognizes the significance of the small crowd when it comes. Did you, did you see verse 44? At the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. That's the servant's words. And Elijah said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. He recognizes the significance of the small cloud. I mean, what about today? Are there any small clouds visible today? Do you know, I believe there are. I believe that, that the clouds, may they're on the far horizon. The rain may not have reached us, but it's falling on other people. We can hear about it. We read about it. The rain is falling on other people, and as we pray, it comes closer. It comes closer. And Elijah, as soon as he saw the small cloud, got ready. He sprang into action, and it's already time for us to get ready. There's no point in waiting. We need to start digging ditches now to catch the water and to redirect the water. We've got to dig ditches now, and that means personally, what do I need to put in place? What do I need to get rid of so that when God does come in mighty uh, deluge, I am, I am prepared. I'm not going to lose it. It's like the garden when there's been a drought. You make sure you've got those tubs out and, you, and everything else ready to catch the water. You don't want to lose it. You don't want to waste it. We need to be ready as a church too. It's one reason why we should pray, keep praying for our elders because it's a, a solemn responsibility to be getting ready for when God does break out in power. Grantley recently had a sabbatical. His theme was um, the making of disciples who make disciples. Boy, that is a theme about getting ready for revival. It's a mighty theme. It's absolutely essential. And so here again, Elijah recognizes this significance. And then verse 45, in a little while, I like that, don't you? In a little while, do you like that? 
in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain I'm going to tell you one of my all-time favorite stories now true story I first came across it uh, in Watchman Nee's uh, little book on Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. Uh, Watchman Nee, of course, was a Bible teacher and pioneer church planter in China in the 20th century. And um, he tells the story of during a New Year holiday in China, he took five men for a 15-day preaching visit to an island off the South China coast. And uh, at the last moment, a young man, Brother Wu, joined them. And he was only 16, he'd only just become a Christian, uh, and he was so eager that uh, Ni agreed to have him as part of the team. Well, they arrived on the island, uh, but the reception they received from the islanders was, was very cool indeed. Uh, a Chinese herbalist uh, took pity on them because they had nowhere at all to stay, uh, and he offered them lodgings. And he actually became their first convert. He came to faith in Jesus. Now, every, everybody else on the island, when they spoke about Jesus, was courteous, but unusually resistant. And the team wondered why. And on January the 9th of that year, uh, they were outside preaching in different little teams in the, in the island. And Brother Wu, with one or two others, was in one village and suddenly asked publicly uh, why will none of you believe and uh, someone in the crowd replied this and I'm quoting now from the book we have a God one God Ta Wang which means great king and he has never failed us he is an effective God how do you know that you can trust him asked Wu we have held his festival procession every January for 286 years. The chosen day is revealed by divination beforehand. And every year, without fail, his day is a perfect one, without rain or cloud. When is the procession this year? It's fixed for two days' time, on January the 11th at 8 o'clock in the morning. Then, said Brother Wu impetuously, I promise you that it will certainly rain on the 11th. At once, there was an outburst of cries from the crowd. That's enough. We don't want to hear any more preaching. If there is rain on the 11th, then your God is God. <laughs> Watchman Lee was elsewhere at the time, and as soon as he heard uh, the news, he realized this was serious. This was deadly serious. The news was spreading like wildfire, and he knew that before long, 20,000 people would know all about it. And uh, if there was no rain on the 11th, then it would mean an end uh, for the gospel on the island, and uh, Ta Wang would reign supreme from now on. And so they stopped their preaching, and they gave themselves to serious prayer. Wouldn't you? And uh, then Watchman Nee writes this, again I'm quoting, Then in a flash there came a word to me, Where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Elijah? It came with such clarity and power that I knew it was from God. Confidently, I announced to the brothers, I have the answer, the Lord will send rain on the 11th, 
And together we thanked him, and then, full of praise, we went out, all seven of us, and told everyone. Now, it's interesting that that evening, the, the Chinese herbalist, who had become a Christian, uh, sat down with the other six, and he made two observations. He said, first of all, Ta Wang is undoubtedly an effective god because the devil's with him. The devil is with that image. But he said, secondly, there is a more rational explanation. He said, this is a community of fishermen, and for two or three months on end, these men are out at sea. And they know by long experience when there's likely to be no rain for two or three days. And so that is the reason why divination always comes up with two or three days of fine weather. Now, this, this was even more serious for the team. They realized now that they were up against uh, these logical fishermen who knew, knew the signs of the, of the heavens. This wasn't good news. And then Ni, again, sensed the words coming to him again. Where is the God of Elijah? They woke on the big day, the 11th, uh, and the sun was streaming through the windows. And it was already past seven o'clock in the morning, an hour to go. And uh, by the time, uh, well, Nee got down and, and prayed as you would, Lord, please send the rain. Uh, but by the time he and the team got down to breakfast, uh, it, was, it was eight o'clock in the morning. And Nee said, I think the time's up. Rain must come now. And he said, let's, let's just bring it quietly to the Lord's remembrance. And as they did so, the answer came. And again, I'm quoting from the book. Even before our, our men, we heard a few drops on the tiles. There was a steady shower as we ate our rice and were served with a second bowl. Let us give thanks again, I said. And now we ask God for heavier rain. And as we began on that second bowl of rice, the rain was coming down in buckets full. By the time we'd finished, the street outside was already deep in water and the three steps at the door of the house were covered. He said they found out uh, later what was happening in the village at that moment. Already some of the young villagers uh, were saying, there is no more Tawang. He's kept inside by the rain. But he wasn't because... Some of the devotees carried his image out on a sedan chair into the rain. Surely, they said, Tawang will stop this little shower that had started. But, of course, it didn't because the downpour then came. And after some uh, 10 or 12 yards, three uh, of the coolies that were carrying the sedan chair stumbled and fell. Down went the chair. Tawang fractured his jaw and his left arm. Uh, and they were still determined, so they took Tawang inside. Uh, they did some emergency repairs. They put him back in the chair, and then they somehow slipped and stumbled all around the village, carrying Tawang until the downpour, the flood, uh, defeated them, uh, and they had to go indoors. And the procession was stopped. And the idol was taken inside. And the, the message came from inside the, the, the hut. Today was the wrong day. 
divination has to be made again. And so divination was made again, and the announcement came, the festival is to be on the 14th, and it will be at 6 in the evening. When the team heard this, what did they do? They go down to prayer again, didn't they? Where is the God of Elijah? And they prayed that God would give them really good weather uh, the rest of the day, right through till the, till the 14th at 6 o'clock. And uh, four good days of sharing the gospel on the island. Because they only had a limited time. They were actually due to leave on the 15th. And so those four days were full of sharing the gospel. And Nee says at least 30 people were solidly converted. I mean, real solid converts during those, those days. And then the 14th broke. Another perfect day on the 14th. They were out preaching during the day. The team met at 6 o'clock. They quietly met before God and prayed. And immediately, guess what? Torrential rain came down as before. I mean, he's written it all down. Watchman Nee said later, the impression on us all was a lasting one. It would be, wouldn't it? We had tasted, he said, the authority of the name that is above every name. Well, the question is, where is the God of Elijah? He is with us still. He is still a mighty God. He's with us now. And he's still the sender of rain. He's the sender of revival rain. And that's what we're praying for, folks. We're praying for that kind of deluge so that it will open up the way for men and women to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. We're near the close now. Elijah, uh, did you notice at the end the strange thing about Elijah running? Running in the rain? Verse uh, 45, 6. The heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Jezreel was his palace, or the place of, the place of Jezreel. That's something like 17 miles that Elijah runs ahead of the chariot. He's poised, he's ready to run. You know, the best Ahab can do is to make it to the palace uh, before his chariot gets bogged down uh, in, the, in the torrent. But Elijah, Elijah is a 9th century BC Iliad Kipchoge. <laughs> He's running ahead of the chariot. Why? He's running because he knows he must be the herald of what's taken place. Ahab is not a reliable witness. He must be the one who proclaims what God has done in Jezreel, in the face of Jezebel. And I love this image. <clears throat> the prophet running through the rain. He's a royal runner. He's a messenger of the king of heaven. Okay, the band are going to join me now on the, on the platform again. But I just want to ask you, as, as, as we prepare to, to round off, what, what are these times of, of rain, of spiritual awakening all about? What's so important about them? Do you know, I love these words. Um, I love quoting these words of pastor theologian Jonathan Edwards, who saw revival, mighty revival, in the 18th century in Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, 
I'm going to put them on the screen. They're the most wonderful words to turn into prayer. But I think they get to the heart of what this is all about. God sending fire from heaven or outpourings of rain from heaven. <clears throat> he said, God hath had it much on his heart from all eternity to glorify his dear and only begotten Son. And there are some special seasons that he appoints to that end, wherein he comes forth with omnipotent power to fulfill his praise and oath to him, that is to Christ. And these times are times of remarkable pouring out of his spirit to advance his kingdom. Such a day is a day of his power. I'm going to ask you here in the room to stand and, uh, and at home for you just to be in an attitude of prayer as we just think about, think about this for a moment. You know, in seasons of spiritual awakening, God raises up royal messengers with a passion for Jesus. And I believe God wants to ignite us with a fresh passion for Jesus. Uh, this morning, and a fresh passion for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, think of that in terms of your street. Think of that in terms of your family. Think of that in terms of your school, your college, your wider circle of friends. A passion for them to know the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for their lives to be changed, but their eternity to be changed. An eternity that is not under judgment, but that is now lived in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't you want to be a royal messenger? Don't you want to run through the rain? Holy Spirit, anoint us and ignite us, we pray. Do not believe there are many of us who are going to be freshly impassioned as we do pray for revival. And you may not feel like it, one little ounce at the moment. But you get into that prayer room and you see God, what, what God will do. You see how he will ignite your heart, ignite your spirit, give you new desires, or reignite old desires that have died down. Oh, God, do it, we pray. We are longing for you to pour out your spirit, to send a deluge, so that we too might be royal runners, messengers of the King of Kings, running in the revival reign. We pray for it. We ask you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To connect with us or for more resources like this, go to hopecommunitychurch.co.uk.